everybody, and welcome to another episode of Intention is Everything. I am Karen Frazier, still mostly sitting in my house in Western Washington. And with me, as always, my co-host, Cheryl Knight-Wilson. Are you guys getting out more? And it was your birthday yesterday, by the way. Happy birthday. Thank you so much. Yes, I turned another year older yesterday. It was lots of fun, actually. But uh, we did get out a little bit yesterday. We went to the park close by, and it's a beautiful drive up there right now. Lovely weather, and, and you can see it's a national park. You can see bears and deer and all sorts of cool animals, and so we did that. You know, other than that, I mean, we have been staying home a lot still, but Every yeah, now yeah. and then we get out. Yeah. Yeah, us too. You can see bear and deer in our backyard. Um, I've never seen a bear, but I know our neighbors have seen bears in our neighborhood before. So I've never seen one. Wow. But, um, yeah. And right. yeah, we're getting out a little bit. Like I went um, a couple weeks ago. We actually drove down to Mount Shasta um, and just stayed in a little B&B there. What was really weird about Mount Shasta, though, is it was like a different world. It was like there was no pandemic ever there. It was so strange. Really? Interesting. I mean, so that's a little bit of an exaggeration. Like servers were wearing masks and restaurants had just opened up and stuff. But like looking at people walking around town and stuff, nah, you wouldn't yeah. even really know that anything had been going on. It was, it was so odd after all of these weeks of just sitting at home. Yeah, it's, it sounds really odd. And I guess people are just, you know, really want to get back out there, get going. Yeah, again. yeah, for sure. Well, also in that county, they had like almost no cases. Ah, uh, okay. All right. So let's get to our guest. Our guest today is somebody who I'm super excited to talk to because it sounds like what he does aligns with what's important to me. So Stephen Williams is an intuitive investigator with Memphis Ghost Investigations and Spirit Rescue. And um, he has, he is a clairsentient. You know what? I forgot to turn off the things that ding on my uh, on my computer, I will turn off my email as soon as I finish reading Stephen's bio. <laughs> he is clairsentient, claircognizant, and um, he has investigated hauntings in the U.S. since 2002. He currently directs Memphis Ghost Investigations and Spirit Rescue, which he founded in 2018. So I'm excited to talk to Stephen because he focuses on spirit rescue. So Stephen, welcome, Stephen. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. All right. So let's get into it. So you focus on spirit rescue, which um, I, I, I agree with because I feel like um, if they ask you to be rescued, they want to go because I feel like it's not okay to use the spirits of people, which are human souls, for entertainment purposes. So why do you focus on Spirit Rescue? Well, uh, next month uh, will be my 18th year anniversary of being involved in the paranormal research field. Started in 2002 in July. And uh, I, I started out with that group, the Ghost Talkers West Tennessee. That was a small group and it got up to about eight people. Over time, most of those people kind of dropped away like like typically happens in groups. And at one point we decided to change the names. We, at that point, ghost hunters was very, Taps was very uh, visible on television. So we did change the name to Memphis Mid-South Ghost Hunters. 
which kind of said more about where we were really operating. Right. And um, I would say maybe see about four years into the investigation work, you know, I would have all of these things happen around me. Uh, stereos would turn on and off. Uh, we'd put down trigger objects. They'd get moved. We'd have interaction with equipment. And we record EVPs. You put them on the website, and then just uh, it was like, what's the point of this? You know, it's the same thing over and over. We're not really affecting any kind of positive change here. So I think spirit, when you get to a certain point, you're ready to um, change directions. They'll always put someone in your path that can steer you, you know, in the right direction. So in 2006 six or seven, I met a medium down in St. Augustine, Florida, and she really introduced me to spirit rescue. Um, I use some of her methods and I've developed my own over the years, but it was, it was kind of like the light bulb went off and it's like, okay, we really need to go in here and we really need to do some counseling and see if we can find out why they're here and see if we can help them, you know, make the transition. So that's, from 2007 on, on to the present day, that's what my focus has been for this about 13 years. So it went from, it sounds like our trajectory was very similar. Um, it went, sounds like for you, it went from interest in the paranormal to, okay, right. we actually, how, how are we helping just by investigating? Is that what I hear you saying? Yeah, I mean, you know, people want to know for certain if there is something going on. But typically, what I've found over the last 18 years is that when someone contacts us for help, you know, they there's definitely something going on. Otherwise, they wouldn't they wouldn't waste our time or their time. And they're really, you know, in a predicament and their lives have been turned upside down. They just don't know where to turn for help. So there's a lot of these there's a lot of groups in this area and I'm sure across the country that watch these television programs and they go out and buy some equipment and try to emulate what they see on these programs. And most of the times they will go in and at, at the expense of a homeowner, you know, they'll go for their chills and thrills and see if they can experience something. And then they leave that person uh, or family in a worse predicament than they did when they first arrived. So yeah, You know, we have to do a lot of cleanup work, <laughs> in a sense, behind people that are not really in it for the, I don't think, for the right reasons. They're not in there to really help people. Yeah. Um, I think most people know that, that they have something going on. And it's okay, you know, to have an EVP and play that for the person. And, you know, it does prove that something's going on. But what I think what homeowners really want and business owners, they want they want the uh, some kind of positive resolution to where things go back to normal and they're not having all these strange things going on all the time and affecting everyone in the family and causing problems. Yeah, I agree with you for sure. And but my path has been very similar to yours uh, because I started out same thing, just really mostly mm -hmm. in the paranormal, although not believing in any of it. Didn't believe in a thing. Oh, I was really I, skeptical too. Yeah, mm -hmm. even even though I'd had experiences throughout my entire life, um, I was just like, well, you know, there's clearly got to be other explanations for, you know, somebody whispering, I love you in my ear. <laughs> right. <laughs> because denial is a big thing. Um, so I, it's interesting to me that your, um, your path is so similar to mine. I, I like hearing that. So Cheryl, you mm -hmm. invited Stephen on, and I, I know you probably have a gazillion questions for him. 
Well, yes, of course I do. And bless, bless your little paranormal Stephen, heart, Cheryl. Yes. Um, Stephen was featured um, in our April issue of Paranormal Underground Magazine. Oh, that's right. April 2020. Uh, yeah. Uh, and so I... I told Stephen, and I'll say it again, I love the fact that Stephen and his team does spirit rescue because I don't think a lot of teens do that. And it's actually debated whether it should be done. But before we get to that, I'm, I'm interested, in, interested in a little bit more of your personal journey, Stephen. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, why you decided to become a paranormal investigator and kind of, do you have, did you have personal experiences before becoming an investigator or was it something else that led you down that path? Okay, first of all, I wanna say thank you very much for featuring us in that uh, issue of Paranormal Underground. That's been a tremendous asset for us and uh, we just really appreciate that so much. So sure. uh, it started through me. I didn't really have um, many experiences when I was a child. I was always interested in the subject, you know, watched all the movies I could watch. There was a movie called The Haunting, the original mm -hmm. one that was made in the 60s that to me still gives me chills because to me it's, uh, it's pretty close to what, what I've experienced uh, in terms of, you know, spirit energies and that type of thing. So um that was, you know, that had a big influence on me at one point. And then um, I had an out-of-body experience when I was a teenager, young teenager. Wow. I was sitting at the kitchen table studying one, one night, late at night. My family was all, my brother and my mom and dad were asleep. And the next thing I knew, I was, I was coming out of my body, going up to the ceiling. And it really shocked me and scared me. And then I snapped back into my body. And I think that experience shut me down or, you know, kind of made me afraid of exploring this anymore at that point, because I, it was kind of like I, I lost control in a sense. And I didn't know if it might happen again, uh, just spontaneously, like I was in class or something like that. So I was, I kind of shied away from it for many, many years. And then, um, after I was married and had a young child, we were, um, my family was down in St. Augustine, Florida. And on a whim, we decided to go on one of the little ghost tours they had down there at the time. And this was, uh, this was a couple of years before TAPS uh, got their show on sci-fi. So there really wasn't much out there about it. And I went on this ghost tour and this guy said, uh, Hey, be sure and take a lot of pictures. You'll get, you might get an orb in your picture. And I was thinking, what is that? What's he talking about? <laughs> and then, so I took a lot of pictures <laughs> and I did get something unusual in one of a couple of my photos. And when I showed it to him, he said, Oh yeah, that's just, that's an orb. It's streaking orb. And so when I got back to Memphis, um, I looked on the internet. There was one small little group. It was those stalker ladies, those stalkers of West Tennessee. It was two of the two ladies. So I sent my photos to them and they debunked them. And they said, go out in your backyard and find where a spider has spun a single thread from a tree down to the ground at night and take a flash picture. And when I did, it was that same effect. It looked like a streaking orb. So, um, but I came really, I became really in, invest, uh, interested at that point and intrigued. And so I did a little research on the internet. There wasn't much out there at that time and decided to go and buy a recorder in this little country cemetery just right down the road from where I lived. So I'd go there in the evenings, ride my bike down there and sit around for a while and 
you know, ask questions. And eventually I recorded a voice and I sent that to them and they said, Hey, you know, come, why don't you come go with us? And they were basically just going to cemeteries at that point. And then once I joined up, it was almost like spirit said, okay, we're going to start putting them into houses now. And we started getting all these requests from homeowners Mm. and that's how I started out. Yeah. Could we go back a little bit and talk about your out-of-body experience? Thank you, because if you didn't ask, I was going to. (laughs) Because those fascinate me. Um, Absolutely. Has it happened to you since that first time? Well, not as extreme as that. I can kind of um, get into a a state, a state of mind where I kind of drift out a little bit, but I think I, I stay close by my body for some reason probably don't want to have that extreme experience again, but no, it was just spontaneous. And I think what happened was I got, I was so tired. I remember being really tired that night. And I guess I just got into that, that uh, state of energetic being that, you know, I just drifted out (laughs) and it was, it was quite scary. It really was like, I didn't know what was happening. And I was like up at the ceiling, looking at my body. And then, and it's just like, I snapped back real quick. Did you tell it was very quick. I mean, within two or three seconds. Hmm? Did you tell anybody about it? No, I didn't. <laughs> Not until I started uh, doing some interviews and talking. I tried to, actually, I didn't. People started asking me, well, did you have experiences as a, as a child? And honestly, I didn't except for that. Um, okay. And there was one other experience, I will say, where I was uh, tree climbing. I used to like climb trees and I fell out backwards out of a tree about 50 feet off the ground and somehow uh, there was a little sapling growing up beside this tree somehow that was placed into my hand uh, to where when it bent over double I was about a foot from the ground just kind of bouncing up and down and I just remember I I just started laughing hysterically because I knew at that point uh, that there was like a guardian angel that had come in there and and done that for me. Otherwise, I probably oh, wouldn't wow. be talking on the phone to you. Yeah. So, but I did have those two experiences. Okay. So are you, as a kid, were you kind of spiritual? Were you raised in the church? What's your, what's your faith background? Yeah, I was raised Southern Baptist, but honestly, sitting in church, there were, I had a lot of questions. I was raised in a, a, a real strict Southern Baptist Church, where it was pretty much hellfire and damnation. That just never sounded right to me. And I had a lot of questions about it. You know, uh, why was uh, the the pivotal religious figure placed in one part of the world and the Native Americans didn't have access to that and that type of thing? So some of it just, it just raised a lot of questions for me. So I guess I was always aware of that and was trying to find more answers as time went on. Yeah. Were you um, interested in, honestly, in paranormal stuff? As yeah. Well? Like ghosts and stuff or psychic, um, any of that stuff? No, never, never anything like that. I just, I never came across anybody who, um, you know, had had those kind of experiences or talked about it. I did ask my grandmother one time if she'd ever had a ghostly experience. And she told me a story about when she was, uh, when my grandfather, this is my dad's parents, was courting her, that um, they would, um, she would wait for him to drive to the house, the farmhouse where she lived, and she would see this car that would come down the road at a certain point, and then it would vanish every every uh, time it got down to a certain point. And then he would drive 
on past there. So it was there was apparently there was uh, someone that had a wreck there on that bridge. So I guess she did have a ghostly experience, and and she was sharing that with me. But it just really wasn't talked about too much in my family. It's kind yeah. of kind of taboo. We're down here in the Bible Belt. <laughs> no, I get it. I mean, I I even though I'm up here in in liberal Washington State, I yeah mm-hmm. I get it. Uh, it was taboo in my family too. I got up one time when I was maybe like about five or six. And I remember this vividly. I got out of bed. I went downstairs to my parents' bedroom and I said, I'm ready to go home now. And they oh. said, well, you are home. <laughs> was so, oh. I was so mad at them because I knew I was not home. So, yeah. And so, so I kind of, I kind of understand. And, and that, that was, uncomfortable for them so i yeah. i i get that background for sure um so yeah um when you were a child so you're now you you now use intuitive abilities right Did you recognize that you had them when you were a child were you were there signs that you had them or were they something that came on as you started to work more with the paranormal I think I think because of that out of body experience, I shut everything off. I may have had some uh, some experiences like that that I didn't understand what was going on, and maybe it was uh, a little different, and I just didn't want to kind of shut it away, I guess. But yeah, for me, when I started, I call myself clairsentient because I do feel the energy of spirits. Um, I can walk into anybody's house. In fact, we have an investigation Monday night. And I'll be able to walk into that house and tell if there's male or female in there, whether or not they're earthbound or it could be a crossover relative, that type of thing um, that's going on. But um, in the way I've that started for me in 2005 when I was uh, there used to be a antebellum home in east of Memphis that we would used to teach workshops, paranormal investigator training workshops. And it was a great home because um, the spirits for some reason would not leave, even though we talked to them and talked to them and tried to counsel them and explain to them they didn't have to be there if they didn't want to be there, but they did. And that was okay. But they would, they would interact with people. It was almost like they enjoyed that. And so it was a great place to teach people about the humanity of all of this. And then uh, I was in, there was a, um, a little house out on the property and I was sitting in that house one evening, and I started feeling like this tingling sensation around my crown chakra, and I didn't know what that was. And after searching for a teacher who helped me to understand that, and then I've been really blessed to work with over a dozen very gifted mediums over the past uh, 18 years. And so I would go into a house with a medium or two, and I would feel that. And I would say, well, do you see someone here or do you feel like there's someone here? And they would say, yeah, there's a guy standing over in the corner. So I know now if I feel on my right side, it's masculine, left side's feminine. And then it's, it's even kind of developed beyond that. I mean, I, I am able to uh, get clairvoyant uh, visions and uh, also hear sometimes. It's not my strong suit. So really clear sentience is my, my strong suit at this point. So you can so you can get details about the spirits just by going into mm-hmm. an environment, and you can oh, um, yeah. you you talked about how if you feel something on your left side it's this or right side it's that. 
So how, what about hearing things? Can you hear? Yeah, if I really tune in and focus okay. and, and get in that state of mind, I can, I can sometimes um, see what they look like. Um, here's a good example. I had a guy uh, get in touch with us through our website. He's out in California. And he was having a lot of things going on, so uh, I texted him, and we corresponded by text a little bit. I could tell there was a male and female in the house just just by that connection, just oh. through the text. Okay. Yeah, I can read. I can read through phone and through texting and so forth. And so uh, we talked a little. I actually called him. We talked a little bit, and I was able to even read the energy a little easier that way. And that night, right as I was um, in bed, getting ready to go to sleep, the, the girl came to me, and I could see her clearly. I mean, it was, I guess it's more like clear cognizance, you know, with that sense of knowing. Mm-hmm. So I knew exactly what she looked like. I knew what her name was, um, you know, how old she was and so forth. And I talked to her, you know, I, I explained to her and gave her some counseling and told her, you know, she didn't have to be there. You know, she could stay if she wanted to, but there was more for her, more opportunities for her if she went ahead and, and transitioned, released in transition. And then I called on some loved ones for her, and she did. She transitioned right there in my bedroom. And um, so I, I called the guy the next day and described her, and he said, that's exactly who we've seen in our house. Wow. So, that's a very moving yeah. experience when that happens, isn't it? It is, yeah. When they when they trust you enough to come to you, even from that kind of a distance. Yeah. So you know, my experience, there's no such thing as time. You know, time and space. It's everything kind of overlaps. So they're easily able to travel. It's almost like there's energetic cords, and there's you know, there's an energetic cord between the three of us right now, as we talk. So yes, for sure. So so real quick, in your bio. It says it, mm-hmm. you, you consider yourself as an energy channel. So this is what you just described to us. You can read the energy given to you by an environment and the spirits. Is that accurate? Yeah, right. Okay. And also, um, along the way, I think it was like in 2007 or 8, I was introduced to Reiki. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a tremendous, for me, that was a tremendous experience that opened me up to uh, being able to read energy better. I'm also a massage therapist, so a lot of times I'll have someone on my table, and someone will come through. And if they're open wow. to it, I'll you know I'll, I'll give messages to them during the during their session. And I always end all my massage sessions with energy work. And most most of my clients who it's almost like spirit sends me people that need that kind of work or needs uh, some guidance. Um, maybe they're opening up to their intuitive gifts. And I can direct them to classes or teachers or books that can help them. And a lot of times their loved ones will come through and, you know, I'm just a channel for that, uh, basically a vessel. And they pour that energy through me. But I feel it, which is nice, too. I get a little residual effect from it. Does it, does it ever get too overwhelming for you? What do you do to try and, you know, calm it down sometimes when it may get to be too much for you personally? Uh, I think my guides, uh, I think when you dedicate yourself to spirit rescue work, uh, they send certain guides in to work with you. Mine are Native Americans, and I, they they keep my house clear. I don't have to ask for protection uh, at my home or anywhere I go. It's just automatic now. 
used to at, when we would counsel a spirit in the early days, uh, I would call for the perfect loved one to be brought. Now they're just auto- they automatically show up. So I think the more you do it uh, and you and you really give yourself to the work and that's that's all you're interested in. You're not interested in, um, you know, getting a TV show or whatever. A lot of people, are, their ego gets in, in the way of, of this stuff. So I think when your intent is pure, all that's provided for you just automatically. Sure. Have you um, gleaned anything from the spirits that you work with that's given you, like, what are the main reasons that they stick around instead of transitioning after they die? Well, you know, I've worked with hundreds, if not thousands, of different clients and in, been in different situations from battlefields to, uh, you know, some of the some of the famous places you've seen on TV. I've been in the Myrtles Plantation, I've been in Crescent Hotel, and different places like that. It just depends on that person's lifetime experience. Uh, we were down in Andersonville. I was down there with the medium one time, and we were walking the battlefield down there, and this young soldier approached us, spirit. And he was he was looking for, um, you know, he was looking for his, trying to find his way home to his family. And so we talked to him and counseled him, and as soon as he transitioned, it was like they a bunch lined up right behind him and, and went on. It was kind of mass crossing, which was really really uh, emotional but i've come across wow huh i just it's yeah i've come across to picture, to picture what you're describing it's just yeah oh it is and and the energy when you feel when you feel them make that transition um uh, you know i can tell because when i feel earthbound spirits i feel that um that tingling type sensation like down around my ear level but when they transition it goes all the way to the top uh, i can feel actually move the energy uh, increase. And, uh, and so that's really interesting, but I've come across soldiers, uh, civil war soldiers who still felt like they're on duty. And so when I call on the perfect person, I've learned over the years, you don't call for, uh, a spirit's parents or their child or, cause we don't know if they had a good relationship with those people. You know, I just asked them to bring the perfect, perfect loved one. And I've had instances where I've worked with soldiers where they feel like they're on duty and I ask for someone to be brought to them and they'll bring the commanding officer and because that person had rank and they respect that person they will go with them and they'll transition do you there's a lot of psychology oh I'm sorry go ahead Hmm? there's a lot of psychology involved in this you know I've learned over the years you got to find out what their likes and dislikes are yes there's and they want to tell their story that's really really important yeah, there's counseling on both sides. You have to, there's psychology sure. involved with the people who are having the experiences and there's psychology right. involved with the spirits. And, and right. mm-hmm. so if you really want to do what you're doing um, in a way that serves the greatest good, you definitely have to be tuned in and um, willing to do that work, don't you? Absolutely. Yeah, and I'm blessed to work I think what distinguishes us from um, many of the groups out there that are doing, even doing spirit rescue work, I know there are some that have come across that maybe have a medium that work with them, but there's three of us. So we're able to cross validate each other. So when going to a site, um, my two partners, Kayla 
and uh, Jennifer, I don't tell them anything. Like they go in completely, totally cold, blind to to what's been going on there. So uh, independently of each other, they will go through. You know, they'll get drawn to certain areas of the of the site, and they have a notebook with them. They'll take notes, and they don't compare notes. And I get some information, and I'll try to remember what I'm picking up on. And then at the end of our time there, we'll kind of have a powwow, and you know, I'll say, "Well, I got this," and they'll tell me what they got. And most of the times, we're right on spot on with each other. And then we, you know, there's that cross validation, which is so helpful to us that we it helps our it helps our abilities grow because it provides confidence that we're actually getting, you know, relevant information. And so I think that kind of sets us apart. Um, we don't use equipment. Uh, the only thing I carry into an investigation is a little EMF meter, which I uh, use to check and see if there's any excessive fields, like maybe bad wiring caused by bad wiring or maybe transmission lines nearby. And then I also record every single investigation. So I've got a documented recording of everything that goes on. That's so- all I use. I used to carry a duffel bag of stuff in. Yeah. Uh, that's well, all I really need then. Lighter yeah. is better, isn't it? It makes it much, the setup yeah. is much easier. So sure. are you somebody who, I, I'm really curious because like I say, everything you're saying, it's like you're the, you're the Tennessee me. <laughs> very, it, ask Cheryl, you're very similar. The things yes. you're saying are very similar to the way that I've done things for years. Yeah. And um, okay. so I used to, and I don't, I don't actually actively investigate anymore. I more go into people's uh-huh. houses where, and if they are having, if they want resolution, I don't go in and I don't right. have anything to do. I will refer out to investigation teams or, or things like mm-hmm. that. But when I used to right. investigate, I would get so many EVPs. Did you use, do you get a lot of EVPs? I did in the beginning, and I do have some some really good examples of that on our website, just to show that you know we're capable of getting that. Yeah. But what I discovered is when I started working with mediums, my EVPs dried up. And right. think about it. Yeah. If you go into if you go into a house and there's a spirit, and you've got a spirit box with you, or you've got a recorder with you, and you've got a medium that can actually communicate with them and hear their thoughts. And, and be able to have, get a conversation, a dialogue going, are they going to waste their energy and time with those instruments? No. So all my EVPs pretty much dried up, dried up at that point. Yeah, but that's not my focus ask. anyway. I, don't, I could care less if I get any, an EVP for the rest of the time I'm doing this. I want to help the spirit transition. Yeah, me too. I because just, that helps the spirit and helps the person, helps the homeowner to get back to a normal life. Yeah, the reason that I asked is because I, I I sort of developed a theory about it that kind of is what you're talking about, which is the communicating uh-huh. with the mediums. But I got an unusual amount of EV, EVPs. Like I had one well, time, cool. I had one time where I I back before I was doing any of the psychic work or anything, where I probably got like eleven EVPs in fifteen minutes. It was crazy. And so I've always, yeah. so I always got a ton of EVPs. So my theory is, is that people who have intuitive abilities and spirit wants to guide in a certain direction, they find any way to do it. And so for me, it was giving me a ton of EVPs, which is why I wondered if you got a lot too, before you started working intuitively. 
Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. And and I've, in my experience, spirits are very selective, and it's almost a personality thing. So sometimes we will go into a site, uh, maybe it's an older home where there was somebody, it was a gentleman that from like the 1860s or 1880s, you know, they had a different mindset back then, and women in their minds, unfortunately, were inferior. So many times they will not uh, talk with the mediums, like get a dialogue going. They can hear what the Spirit is saying, and their strong suits are clairaudience and clairvoyance. So, you know, I, I don't, I just let them do do that, you know, do their thing because they can hear it a lot clearer than I can usually. And so that spirit might talk, want to talk to me, but they hear what he's saying and then they relay it to me. And then I talk, you know, kind of talk to them as an intermediary through them. So that's, that's something that happens uh, quite often. Yeah. And then sometimes we went to a house mm, before all the COVID stuff hit, we went to a house one, one time over in Jackson, Tennessee, and all three of us were picking up on this very flamboyant lady who was back in a bedroom back there. Um, she was like the uh, quintessential uh, 80s person, you know, had the big hair and everything, jewelry and all that stuff. She was she was quite funny and quite charming. But uh, there was a guy in the military and he only he only uh, connected with Jennifer. I wasn't aware of him and Kayla wasn't aware of him. So he directed all and focused all of his energy on to Jennifer and she didn't say anything, of course, because we don't compare notes while things are going on unless we're doing some counseling. So at the end, she said, well, I picked up on this guy. He's in the military. Well, he was a friend of the homeowner. They had served in Iraq together. And for some reason, he singled her out and wanted to deliver the message through her. So I've found that's the case sometimes, that they're really selective about who they'll interact with. So do you find that the spirits that you encounter – mostly are there because they're too scared to move on? Do they not know that they've died? Do they just want to stick around because they like to be there? What's, why are spirits in certain locations? I would say all of the above, just everything you mentioned. Um, there was one time we went to a house and there was a young girl hiding in the closet and she was in some kind of mental loop. And all she would say is, the house is on fire. The house is on fire. Oh. So we, we're being energy channels. All three of us are energy channels. So one technique we use is we'll project, I guess you would say, love energy or a high vibrational energy to the spirit, um, which helps them a lot of times to break out of whatever fog they're in or mental loop that they're in where they have more clarity. So at that point, she was able to let go of that thought, which is probably her last thought before she perished in the fire. And then we were able to get a dialogue going with her and have a conversation with her, and she calmed down, and then she was quite ready to go. So sometimes uh, they're afraid of punishment, you know, things they've done in in their lives, and because of their religious training, they're afraid they're going to be you know, cast into the lake of fire and that kind of stuff. And then uh, sometimes it's a possessive thing to where they, one guy built a house. That was his, you know, prized accomplishment in his life, and he wasn't going to go anywhere. And so we started talking to him and said, well, you know, would you like to build a house that's even better than this? You know, you can create your own reality. 
And that got his attention, and he was ready to go then because you're ready to build another house, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So there are all kinds of different reasons, but what you mentioned, and sometimes like the soldiers feel like they're still on duty. Mm-hmm. Um, in my massage practice, I will sometimes feel relatives of my clients around, and uh, because I can distinguish between earthbound and crossed over uh, energies. If the person has lost um, their parent or a child or something, and they're heavily grieving that that person, a lot of times they will hold hold the spirit with them. Um, oh, okay. It's almost like the spirit feels like um, I can't leave. I can't leave her now. She needs me here close close by. So I always try to talk to the spirit because you know I can and get a dialogue going myself and explain to them they can actually help their loved one better if they'll go ahead and release because they can come back and kind of be a guardian angel or protector type energy or communicate easier in dreams and that kind of stuff. You know, that's one of the There's big things is letting them, I, I think that that's one of the misconceptions. And Cheryl mentioned earlier that a lot of people, that spirit rescue for some reason is controversial. Um, and I, can't I wonder, imagine why. yeah, I, I can't imagine why either, but I wonder if part of it is because people think of it more in terms of banishing or exercising. I think, I think that's the problem. In fact, I was listening, I'm going to do a, another interview tonight after, after we finish. And I was listening to one of the podcasts uh, of this person's, um, interview and, the lady described herself as a banisher of spirits uh, mm. rather than you know, a rescuer. And, you know, it's not our job to go in and move anybody on because everybody has free will, including children, you know, ch- child spirits. But I, I feel like it's uh, just a really important um, responsibility since we have these abilities to go in and communicate with someone who is kind of at a roadblock in their journey for whatever reason, you know, if it's someone's grieving them and holding them here or they don't know they're, they're passed on or whatever, and at least explain to them that they have the option to go. Yeah. And then we have the ability, we have, we have um, helpers on the other side that will bring their loved ones. And once they see those people, they're almost always ready to go. Yeah, and they always um, have so to Yeah, and they can, you know, when we explain you can come back and, yeah. you know, have experiences here or be kind of like a spirit guide or whatever, you know, they love that. So uh, it's, it's kind of like they've, they just don't have all the information that they need. So our job is, our motto is investigate, educate, and rescue. So we go in, we investigate, we see who's there. We listen to their story, give them an opportunity to tell them, tell about themselves. And then we educate them and say, you know, you don't have to be here. You know, this is, you know, you have an opportunity to to continue on your journey, and there's more things you can learn. My dad passed a couple of years ago, and I've got a really great friend who is a fantastic medium. Had a reading with her. My dad uh, only had a high school education, never had the opportunity to go to college, but he told her that he was studying architecture, and he just loved to build things, so that made perfect sense to me. So I think there's more, you know, I think you can create your reality from what we hear from those that have come back. And it's much, you know, it's just, uh, it's a journey. It never ends. So. 
Yeah. You know, I heard. Go ahead, Cheryl. Sorry. I heard someone, I really don't want to say who, but they did not want a spirits to be moved on because they wanted the business. They wanted the, the tours. They wanted to keep the spirits yeah. there. And I thought that was. Yeah, I've heard that. Sad. Too. It was sad because I, I just, I, I started feeling for the spirits and, and if they're, and if they don't know that they can move on or they, they, they're stuck, they feel stuck for some reason and they're not getting the help they need. So what you're doing mm-hmm. is just so refreshing to me because I just think that, Sometimes I know a lot of investigators have the best intentions at heart and they want to go find mm-hmm. answers for people. They may not be able to help them after the fact, but they, they, they're not abusing, you know, the, the privilege that they have to go investigate. But then when you hear these stories of people who actually want <laughs> to almost keep the spirits like they're theirs, it just is so kind yeah. of heartbreaking, you know? That that's creating bad karma for that person uh, to it's almost like enslavement in a sense. Yeah. Um, and what what I think they've lost sight of is that you know, and especially on the TV shows, I hear them talk about, well, it did this, it did that. It's not an it; it's a person. You know, it was someone's child or grandmother or brother, or husband or wife or whatever. They just lose sight that these are are still people. They still have their memories, uh, all their experiences intact. They're just in an energetic form. People without and, bodies. Uh, I had a clock. Huh? I said they're people without bodies. That's it. Yeah. We're all spirits all in the, the flesh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we had a client in, in uh, a city near, near Memphis. Um, and there's a little girl there and he had developed a kind of a, a bond with her, um, you know, she, he was fine with her being in the house and she would do things. She, <laughs> she was an incredible spirit. Uh, one time he was alone in the house and she called him on her, on his phone, on his cell phone. And he had told some of his friends what, you know, some of the things that had been going on in the house. So he picks up the phone, this, this little girl's on the other end. And he, he says, who is this? And she says, we're the children who live in your house. And so he thought his friends were pranking him. So he went into an interior closet, which was dark. It was at night. He was alone in the house and he held up three fingers and he said, what am I doing now? And she said, you're holding up three fingers. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yeah. Her name name was Lily and she had left uh, her handprints on uh, a window in the bathroom uh, when it was steamed up one time and she would move things around, but she actually dropped a penny while we were there onto Kayla's lap out of midair. But yeah, he was really, he had developed a a relationship with her in terms of kind of a bond. Like she was, you know, it was okay for her to be there and he he really didn't want her to leave. And then I said to him, come over here and look out this window. What if there was a little girl that was walking down the street, five or six year old girl, and she was lost, you know, and she was searching for her parents. Would you want to go out there and help her? And that, the light bulb went off in his head and he understood, you know, this is somebody's child that's here and they're missing her and she needs help getting to them. So he was okay at that point with her, um, with us working with her and helping her to transition. Well, as an aside, yeah, I, good. As an aside, I just have to tell you, I have, it's like getting a phone call from a ghost is on my bucket list. (laughs) (laughs) That guy needs to write a book. I'm telling you, he he's incredibly um, intuitive. My friend Sheila, 
uh, that I was telling you about that brought my dad through in a reading. She worked with us for a little bit, uh, a little while when I formed the group, but she's gotten so busy with other things. But she went to that house with us, and she sat with him for an hour and a half and did mediumship with him uh, and his grandmother on the other side. Uh, she had a lot of information that she wanted to pass on to him. And he's had all kinds of experiences with ETs and people see craft over his house all the time. So he's, he's quite a, a unique and special individual. So I hope he writes a book one day and talks about all this. He needs to write a book. Cheryl should interview him for the magazine. Yeah. I can put you in touch with him. He's oh amazing. Cheryl, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I'm all for that. But yeah, I don't know why, but for some reason to me, and I mean, I've had so many experiences. Look, I 100% believe in all of this stuff now, which is a a big 180 for me from where I started. Um, Oh, me too. But but I believe in it. And yet still, I don't know why, but I just feel like getting a phone call from the spirit would be like the coolest thing ever. (laughs) Better watch out for what you ask for. I know. <laughs> I know, but see, that's what—that's why I put it out there. Because when I ask for you things, put it out there. I get them. Yeah. <laughs> right. So <laughs> I'm just putting it out there. Was- <laughs> Yo, call me. Call me. We and we have um, a, a little boy who lives upstairs in our house. Well, he doesn't live uh-huh. upstairs. We have a little boy who stays upstairs in our house. And has never right. shown interest in moving on or anything, but maybe he hears me and he'll call me. I, he he does stuff. He moves furniture around up there. I mean, he's a really busy little guy. Um, less yeah. so that my son doesn't live in the bedroom up there anymore because he moved out of the house. But but he he tends to be pretty active, so maybe he can call me on the phone. Yeah, that reminds me of a little a little kid named Henry. Uh, that's one of my favorite investigations I ever did because it was a long term thing. And Henry, I never could get him to move on. He was he was quite happy where he was. And even even when they demolished the house, somehow he managed to move a chair onto the top of the pile of rubble. And when I brought a medium out there I just met and asked her if she saw anybody, she said, yeah, there's a little boy up in that chair. So he was quite amazing. I could take um, anybody from anywhere into that house and he would interact with equipment. He loved music from the 1930s, which was his time period. Uh, he had, his sister was there and I actually saw her uh, one night. Uh, I spent the night alone in that house after the family moved out and during a raging thunderstorm, all the power went off and I was walking through the house looking for the breaker box. And this little girl, it felt like someone had dumped a tub of ice cold water over me. And I looked to the right, and this little girl ran past the doorway. So I, uh, that night when I went to sleep, I, I uh, started talking to her, you know, and saying, hey, you know, come over here and talk to me. And I started singing, and eventually she climbed up on my lap, and I could feel, I mean, like I was head-to-toe electrified. And she, she did cross over, but I never could get Henry to cross over. Mm, Yeah, sometimes, you know, I I feel like sometimes it's not in there that when it's their time, when it serves their greatest good, they will. But there's something that Henry is still getting out of being here. And the little guy. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, he he may need the earthbound spirit experience. You know, that may be part of his journey to, to be that, to have that experience longer. And also what I've found is almost, well, I would say in every 
uh, instance I've ever come across a child spirit. It used to really bother me in the early days. It's like, why did an angel come come by and take this child? Right. You know, go yeah, ahead and get the child to the other side. But children are little people, right? And they've got free will, so they can make their own choices. But what I've found is there always is a loved one, a crossover loved one who's nearby, watching over them kind of as a guardian. Yeah. And um, sometimes we're able to, working with the child spirit, like Lily, her mom came for her. So once we were able to get her attention and have her focus on her mother, who had always been that right there with her, then she was able to connect with her and leave. So. so I'm curious, how do you use intention during your healing work or your paranormal investigations or even just your everyday life? I know that you you do and do use intention. So can you just describe that to us? Yeah. Um, there's a, uh, you know, I was raised Southern Baptist, so there's a favorite Bible verse of mine. It's in Isaiah. And um, Isaiah is uh, talking with God, and God is actually there uh, talking to his angels, seraphim, and all that. And Isaiah kind of overhears the conversation, and God's talking about sending someone uh, to help out in a certain certain situation. So what Isaiah says is, here am I, send me. So that's basically how I, in, I begin my day every day, is I just set the intent that um, I want to serve spirit, you know, whatever form or fashion they see fit. Uh, I ask my guys to come in and, and help me, um, you know, make the best decisions. And then when I do, a, when I do energy work during massage, I just basically um, empty out and become a vessel, and I ask all the loved ones of that person to come come in and work through me. And they almost always steal that energy uh, that flows through me. Uh, they describe it like a wave that will flow up and down, or they might uh, see colors, or they might uh, actually see visions. So it's not me. It's their loved ones, and they're, uh, the healers on the other side, the guides, their guides come through and, um, but I can distinguish when they come in. And I think part of my mission is to help people, especially people that are opening up to their intuitive gifts to understand them and to interpret what they're feeling correctly. So a lot of times when I feel like a male energy come in, maybe it feels like a guide. I'll ask my client, do you feel anybody? And a lot of times I've helped people really open up to their gifts that way to understand what they're feeling. Do you think everybody's intuitive and everybody has psychic gifts? I do. I think everybody has that potential. I mean, here I am, um, you know, past the midpoint of my life. And uh, I guess because of that out-of-body experience, I kind of shut it off for a while. But, you know, if I, I don't know why they gave me that experience. Maybe I wasn't supposed to get involved in this until later in life. But it's, it's, um, it's been an accelerating thing for me. And I, again, I think the more you kind of um, dedicate yourself to it or kind of surrender to the work, they just put more people in front of you and more opportunities in front of you. So I, I just kind of feel like, uh, well, here's a good example. And, and I love this because uh, Spirit has, has such a great sense of humor. So about Seven or eight years ago, I was kind of at a crossroads, and I kind of felt like I was lost in a sense and didn't have a direction. And I had actually, I was working solo doing this, and I had driven all the way up into Kentucky and helped the family up there. 
spent the night, then drove all the way over to uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee, helped family there. And then to make it a, a kind of a round trip, I went on down to the Gulf Coast, and I was spending the night in Destin, Florida. And I was out on the beach about midnight, walking the beach, and I just said, God, you know, uh, I just don't know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing here. You know, I, I really want to do the best I can. Can you can you give me a sign that you hear me? I really want I really want a sign. And um, so I went on back to my motel and got up the next morning, and I was driving from uh, the little Gulf Coast town of Destin. Uh, over to the next place, which is Fort Walton Beach, and there's a there's a bridge in between the two, and so I'm driving down this road, and I see this man over on the right side, and he's holding up a big sign, and the sign says Jesus, and then a heart like a red heart, U, the letter U. So I thought, God, that's really cool. I'm gonna stop and take a picture. So I I got out, and I started talking to this man, and he is the grandson. He was he's the grandson of the founder of uh, that little town of Destin. He's a sea captain. So he started telling me all these things and um and we talked a little bit and he said, Well, wait a minute, I wanna I wanna give you something. So he he says, Here, would you hold this? So I was holding a sign, I'm waving at people, you know, honking at me and stuff like that as they're driving by. Because <laughs> apparently he's out there every day doing that. And he's like a fixture. So he comes back and he brings me a book. He's written about the history of Destin and his grandfather and everything. And so we talked a little bit longer. And then uh, I said, well, look, I, I really enjoyed meeting you and, and thank you so much for your book. But I've got to get on the road. I've got like a seven-hour drive ahead of me. And he said, well, wait, wait just one minute. I want to give you something else. So what did he give me? What did I ask for on the beach? I asked God to give me a sign. Right. Oh my God. So he comes back and he gives me the sign. He gives me a sign that says Jesus heart you. Oh my gosh. That's so I literally hilarious. I literally got that's I literally amazing. got what I asked for, which I thought was just so fun. All right. And that that's, might that's be the best thing. story ever. I I, I tell like that story that. all the time. Give me a sign. Yeah. I love it. Well, I always was, tell people that when they I always tell people that when they ask for a sign, they should ask for something kind of specific, but not super specific. And that was quite that was quite specific. That was, that was literal. Specific. Oh wow! So do you do you do any other type of? Uh, I know you do Reiki. Um, you know, you, mm-hmm. you set your intention each day. Do you do any other type of intentional practices? Like perhaps do you use crystals or do you? meditate or do you have any other intentional practices that you do each day or just often no really i just kind of start my day off with that statement and just say spirit use me however best i can you know serve uh, okay. you know, serve everyone and uh, that's it that's kind of my intent of the day yeah. um i i kind of am a walking meditator i love nature so i'll take long walks like four or five mile walks and wow. i just kind of zone out and uh a lot of people get that same experience when they're driving down the road and then they go 20 or 30 miles. They don't remember, you know, that time period that kind of zone out. The highway. So I'm able to do that. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm over time. I've developed the ability. I can just zone out just instantly, you know? Yeah. In fact, when I do my energy work, when I'm finished a massage and I, I go down uh, to the person's feet and that's usually where I, I work. 
um, I just kind of instantly go off. I kind of go out to Sedona, Arizona and sit on a Mesa <laughs> in oh, my mind. Sedona's my, then, but, my favorite place yeah, on the yeah. planet. <laughs> it's, it's quite magical. So uh, I was out there a couple of years ago and was up on Cathedral Rock and there was a moonrise. And that's kind of what I always, you know, kind of always get in my mind. I bet and that I was allow, beautiful. Allow their loved ones to come through and work through me, so. Well, and Cathedral Rock is also uh, one of the vortexes. So that's yeah, cool. yeah, super cool. Well, Cheryl and I have place, yeah. yeah, Cheryl and I have plans to meet in Sedona in December, given that you know people are allowed to travel and stuff again. So fingers crossed. Yeah, he's never yeah. been there. I've been there, uh, you know, I, a couple times, and I love Sedona. So for sure, it's amazing. Yeah, it's quite um, a magical place. Yeah. Okay, well, we have come to the part of the show that we like to call Shameless Self-Promotion Corner. So how can people find you? Okay, we have a website. It's, uh, I wish it, it is, we do, we have two domains. One is MemphisSpiritRescue.com. I wish that was the one I could use for people to find us, but nobody's going to put in Memphis or Rescue, Spirit Rescue. Nobody knows about it. So our main website is called MemphisGhostInvestigations.com. Okay. And then if you go to Memphis Spirit Rescue, it'll take you to MemphisGhostInvestigations.com. <laughs> <laughs> We're also on Facebook, and uh, people can punch in Memphis Ghost Investigations and Spirit Rescue and find our Facebook page. Um, I don't put a whole lot of pictures on our website, so typically I'll, I'll do a report on a investigation, and then we'll put some pictures on our Facebook page. Um I'm also writing a book. I'm about halfway oh, really? finished with a book because people have told me over the years, you need to write a book. And so during the COVID thing, the lockdown here in Tennessee, I had some time. So I'm about halfway finished with that. So I hope to publish that uh, by the fall. Well, congratulations. And, uh, if someone did, yeah. Someone doesn't pick it up and I'm self-published it anyway. So. Well, that is a true labor of love. I know it's like, it's like giving birth. No, yeah, I've done both. So I've, I've done the book and I've given birth. They're very similar. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll write the book. I'll never have that other experience in this lifetime. Maybe I have in a previous lifetime. But oh, I'm sure you probably have. All right. Well, Stephen, it's been just an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And I really appreciate hearing about your work and what you do. It always excites me to hear other people who do work similar to the work that I do and the work that some of the people that I work with out here in Washington and Oregon do as well. So that's cool. Well, that's, that's wonderful. I'm, I'm glad uh, that other people are, are heading down that road rather than the, uh, the stuff we see on television so much. And uh, I just really appreciate the opportunity to talk to y'all. It's been great. Maybe we'll meet out in Sedona sometime. You know what? That sounds good to me. Yeah, thank you so much, Stephen. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you, Cheryl, for everything, for the for the magazine spot and everything. We certainly appreciate it. Yes. All right. So, hope Cheryl. Hope to meet you, too. Yeah. Yes, definitely. So, Cheryl, you said April 2020 issue? Yeah, check out the April 2020 issue at paranormalunderground.net, or you can go to issue.com and read it for free online, or you okay. can get your own PDF copy at our website paranormalunderground.net. Isn't issue.com spelled weird though? 
It is. How's it? It's it's built. I S S U U. Yes, that's it. I S S U U dot com. Yep, that's it. Yeah. That's a great magazine. And um, by the way, Cheryl, I've connected with Bob Fountain. I know he's one of your oh. writers and contributors. He's we he's maybe <laughs> he's maybe thirty minutes from where I live. Oh wow! Uh, so I'm hoping to do maybe do an investigation with him. We're looking at maybe doing a theater together up here in Covington, where he lives. So he's a great oh, guy, and I've yeah. enjoyed talking to him. Uh, so we got to investigate with Bob once at Bobby Mackey's. It was it was amazing. Yeah. We had a great time. All right, guys, let's pull this show to a close. Um, I don't know who we have next time because I'm sure Cheryl has somebody scheduled, but I don't remember who it is. We do. We okay, do. Tell me. We have Mark Anthony, the psychic oh, that's lawyer. right. Coming up, yep. Yeah, and that'll be a live Facebook. It will. It will be a Facebook Live um, podcast, Video. and then it'll go up online as well after the fact. Groovy. Be sure to wish Cheryl a happy birthday. And then our um, and our July 1st episode will be Mark Ann. Crazy. So, okay. Stephen, Cheryl, thank you. Happy birthday, Cheryl. Happy thank birthday, you. Cheryl. Thank you.